0: Chase the Vision with Isaac Mashman. What is going on everybody? Isaac Mashman here. And you are now listening to another episode of Chase the Vision with Isaac Mashman, the show that is all about helping you become a more capable individual through me sharing my experiences and knowledge in business, life and personal growth and also bringing on amazing guests like the wonderful woman I have on today, Ms. Dayo Akinranade of Wisdom. I'm super honored to be talking with her today and a little bit about Wisdom. It is a new social media audio or social audio application. And I had the honor of being one of the beta users and got on in the middle of September. And uh, I'm super honored to be having this conversation because this is an app that I was on for, you know, almost a month prior to its launch and then after its launch and uh, I've spent literally, you know, dozens of hours on it, got business through it and I'm like, "Man, Miss Dial, I want to have you on." So, Dial, how are you doing today?
1: I am excellent, Isaac. How are you?
0: I am phenomenal on cloud 9, excited to be having this conversation with you. And uh, I want to go ahead and start before we dive into the nitty-gritty of business and, you know, launching an application, developing a team and all that other stuff. I want to talk about you. I want to I want to kind of redirect the conversation to your personal brand, to you know, your childhood, to your early years, your professional career. And so, where did you grow up and and what was your childhood like?
1: I grew up between uh two cities, London, UK and Lagos, Nigeria. So, I had a multicultural childhood which I feel very privileged to have have because I think it gives uh, like a duality of perspective. I am the oldest and I have uh, three younger siblings. So I think that also had me grow up with a sense of leadership because it was always instilled within me that I had a responsibility and I needed to set like a, a good example for you know my younger siblings. And so, yeah, I mean, overall, I had, uh, I had, I had, I had a great childhood. Um, I feel very, very happy for it.
0: Okay. And then, were you like in a family of entrepreneurs, or what? What did your parents do? Because what I've noticed is through conversation, a lot of people are oftentimes influenced in their professional life and their careers based off of that of their parents or the lack thereof.
1: So, uh, my both of my parents, particularly my father is an entrepreneur. I have never seen him working for anybody else. He's always had his own office, uh, woken up and done his own thing. However, he was always very vocal and encouraging that he wanted his children to have the experience of working for somebody else and having that discipline and that you know humility and he emphasized that that was a great thing to do Um, and he would also tell us uh, go and get your training and get the discipline and get the humility by working for somebody else or perhaps within a corporation but he also said that ultimately if you really want growth and you really want success you're going to need to do your own thing eventually
0: okay so with that perspective that's interesting because a lot of times when you have an entrepreneurial parent or a grandparent they're going to say hey start your own business it doesn't make sense working for another person but it, it, it's an interesting fact that he said it would actually be beneficial to work for somebody else. Now, what was the moment in your life that you knew you wanted to start a company? Because you, you did go into the professional career prior to kind of jumping feet first into entrepreneurship, correct?
1: That's correct. So my first degree, my undergrad degree was in computer science. And from there, I was recruited into Accenture within a consulting service line as an IT management consultant. So I was delivering professional services, working primarily around financial transformation programs and analytics, and in essence, doing the whole consulting lifestyle, troubleshooting projects, long hours, travel, and all of that. As I transitioned from project to project, I noticed a common theme, which was that the projects that I performed best and enjoyed the most were projects where I joined from the inception. So from, from the problem-solving stage, where we were going into the client to do the current state analysis and understand the problem, then devise the strategy, then move into the delivery. I found that the projects which I did not enjoy as much were the projects where I was joining maybe 60% of the way through. So I maybe I would join at the testing phase. At that point, the solution has already been decided and you were joining at the end to deliver the project. And what I learned about myself was that I need buy-in as to why something has been designed a certain way. I need to feel that I've had my input into the decision-making process. And for me, that is very key to having buy-in. And once I have buy-in, and I'm totally engaged, I can go in and deliver. And that along with the fact that I found uh, I am most comfortable in the driving seat. I'm very uncomfortable as a passenger, whether that is a literal car or whether that's a project or any kind of initiative. Like for me, it, it's a, it actually feels uncomfortable to sit back. So those were the signals to me that steered me towards running and starting my own company. It wasn't so much, I want to have my own company, it was me looking at what are the work situations where I was conceptualizing what was being built from the start and also being able to take a lead role, hence the decision to start a company
0: fascinating you know that's that's kind of interesting because either way you would have gotten involved with entrepreneurship but i imagine listening to your father telling you to go and work for somebody else prevented you from making the decision to go and start your own company correct
1: yes absolutely he it it was made it was made very clear that uh, uh my early activities his children's early activities was going to be to, to work for for somebody else and as I said have that humility have that discipline um, also have what they consider to be that formalized training I think you know sometimes if you sometimes you want for your children the thing that you didn't have for yourself so perhaps for him where he was primarily with entrepreneurship, he was like, well, I, I want you to experience, uh, you know, working for someone else.
0: Mm. Well, you and I were, were both talking prior to, to getting into the interview about how, you know, you, you have a call coming up and we're actually, I believe I believe you're seven hours ahead of me or six hours ahead of me right now. And you have another call that will take you until 11 p.m. And you're like, why did I choose this life? But I, that, that's the reason why you chose the life, because you want that. And I imagine, you know, your, your father also had that. And then now you're actually kind of like a mirror in your own unique way with your own avenues and your own business and, you know, what you got going on. So what was the point where you went from working at Accenture to to deciding to, you know, move in? What what was the next step after that?
1: Okay, great. So I did a a stint at Accenture. I also did a stint at Deloitte & Touche, uh, also in our financial services consulting. And... I would say it was. I told myself I was going to stay in the company until I got promoted to uh, like a manager grade. Like that was just something which I wanted to do. I want. I wanted to know that I could do that. And so, were you asking what was the the moment? Let's just recap. So I make sure I answer the question correctly.
0: Yeah. Like, like what was the the moment that you decided to quit your job? Because I imagine working there and and for however long you work there, you're probably making a a reasonably high salary, right? Like a good living, like you're Mm -hmm. comfortable. probably had the car that you wanted to drive. And what was the moment that you said, I'm going to go into business and what was your first business after quitting the company?
1: So my, I would say one of the key moments that, there were two key moments, right? That that I knew I, I wanted to, I realized I wanted to quit. Um, I always had a niggling feeling that I could do more. Meaning I was working on, you know, big transformation programs, you know, sort of double digit million projects for banks. Yes, I got to travel, work in places as diverse, as uh, like Hyderabad in in India and build out teams. I always just had a niggling feeling that that I could do more. That was one thing. Then I think another key moment was uh, I I landed a, a great project, a great role internally, where I was reporting into the senior leadership. So the senior equity partners and people on the board. So for several months, I was on a daily basis reporting to some of the most senior people in the organization that gave me an insight into their role and what they did day to day. And I realized that I didn't want to do what they did. I I didn't want to work that way. So it then became, well, Daya, why are you here and what are you working towards? Because if I can observe the people at the sort of the apex of the organization, and that's not what I want to do then I was like why would I be here because for me I, I believe being you know if I was to be in a company I'm absolutely working towards you know going as high as I can possibly go so that that, that was a key moment I think when I decided.
0: Okay fascinating now what was your first business that you launched outside of, you know, making the transition from working as an employee or as an independent contractor to a full-scale business owner?
1: Okay, that's a great question, right, because I think a lot of people uh, have questions around transitioning, because it's, uh, it's well, you know, it's, 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 it's a, uh, it's a big transition. So there were a few things I did. Uh, initially, when I had a question mark, I thought I want, you know, I was very sure I wanted to do this. Well, I I enrolled in a part-time MSC, uh, a part-time masters at University College London. Uh, It's a new-ish degree called technology entrepreneurship. And I said, I want to do technology entrepreneurship this degree because I knew that I had learned a lot in depth about how to deliver enterprise technology but that is very different to like startup and high growth technology. So initially I said, I'm going to do this master's. This master's was almost, it was like a gift to myself. I know everyone's different, right? Maybe for some people they'll buy a a vacation for themselves or a nice car. Like for me saying, I'm going to gift myself this month. Like it was literally a gift. It was me choosing uh something that I really wanted to study and because the whole structure of the degree was like very practical uh you know that that was um that that was one thing I did which helped me kind of ease you know my toe out then I I worked on two other things as well I started working on building a dating app a dating app called AfriClick so AfriClick is a dating app And it faces the global African community. So in essence, recognizing the opportunity that globally there are 1.4 billion people of African descent, but this is a market that has not been tapped into in terms of a cultural dating uh, solution, because it is a different culture. People are assessing different dating points. To days you know I estimated to be like a 600 million dollar market that just hadn't been looked at so that was uh, also a venture I transitioned out of and then finally the third thing that I got involved in and this was really by chance so as I was transitioning out of uh, in essence working in the city of London to working in London's more entrepreneurial tech ecosystem I was very surprised at the lack of diversity, meaning I felt that once I went into tech and startups and entrepreneurship, you know, entrepreneurship is it's kind of, you know, it's meant to be accessible, but I was very surprised at the lack of diversity in terms of the founders I was meeting in London's tech ecosystem, and I started to give uh, kind of talks about it and attend events around it and ultimately i connected with an organization called capital enterprise who are a london tech ecosystem builder and we conceptualized a program called one tech now to date one tech is the uk's largest diversity in startups program we pitched it into the jp morgan chase foundation so they sponsored it along with the london mayor and so I had a lead role on the program. My primary role was actually working with tech accelerators, so accelerators like Startup Bootcamp, Techstars, and uh, Space Camp. And in essence, I was working with them, doing organizational transformation to help tech accelerators understand why they were not a to kind of go on their accelerators. Um, so yes, hopefully that answers the question.
0: <laughs> Most definitely does. But I want to ask you a question because you, you've had multiple experiences and multiple different startups and companies um, that you've launched and that you've partnered with other people to launch how important was company culture and, and you know team building um, when it came to the success of the startup? Because becoming number one in anything is not an easy feat. And how did you take that to your current business, which is wisdom and, and the social audio space?
1: So I think company culture is so key, right? Especially today as a company, when you are competing for talent, you can only pay people so much. And I think when you look to Gen Z, and partially the millennials, we are less motivated now by money, right? Culture is key. I can definitely think of certain clients and organizations that I personally worked for as a Black woman in tech, and had the culture been better, they possibly could have retained me. But it wasn't until I left, and I know my situation is absolutely not unique. So I think culture is key, particularly with the work I did on the One Tech program, where in essence, I was going into uh, startup accelerators and, and getting them to take an honest look at their cultures. And, you know, they, they loved their cultures because, you know, it's like, we're tech, we're a startup, we're cool, we all wear hoodies, you know, everything's, you know, everything is great. Um, but... I think within tech and high growth tech and startups, there's often something which is known as a monoculture. And uh, a monoculture is, it's an organization where, which is crafted in such a way unintentionally that only a very specific type of culture will thrive and be rewarded. And that is something I'm, I'm very conscious of. And the thing is, if you're an individual, that sits within the majority of the monoculture, so potentially maybe a straight white male, they probably wouldn't see that it is a monoculture And, and you' once once you kind of know the telltale signs to look for, so say, for example, Whenever there is a company celebration, it's alcohol always always happen after working hours, like from 6 p.m. You know, these are all things that, well, if you're a parent, maybe that might not work for you. If you're not somebody that drinks, perhaps due to religious reasons, you feel a bit excluded because things are always kind of focused around you know, alcohol. Or sometimes you will have organizations that have leaned in a lot to things like uh, maybe sustainability and saying we're vegan. But when I would kind of audit these companies, and maybe I would speak to some of their employees that belong to ethnic minorities, Uh, they had specific issues that they felt where they were not being treated equally. So then there's a CEO saying, oh, we're great, we're vegan, but do you see? They're not really kind of thinking through and saying, do all of the individuals working at this company think this is an equitable environment? So for me, company culture, it's, 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 it's very, very key.
0: Interesting, and I know a lot of people, um, people who listen to the show, younger entrepreneurs, people who might be looking into starting their own business or maybe their startup is a year or two old. Uh, one of the big questions, especially when you build out a team and when you start bringing people on, even independent contractors, not just W2 employees, is diversity, right? Because diversity is, is like, there, there's a, a massive awareness that's been, been developed over the past decade, I would say, over, hey, like certain ethnic groups or certain minorities are less likely statistically to be in a position of power or be in a position of, you know, success or on a sea level. And what have been some of the trends that you've seen in your own personal experience, and also being a woman of color, and, you know, um, you know, Nigerian descent, like, I I imagine that there have been situations that might have kind of made your jaw drop a little bit of like, wow, I'm experiencing this. Like, t- tell me, like, how that was, especially entering the tech space that is, you know, I'm thinking of America, Silicon Valley, dominantly, you know, like, it's controlled by, you know, white dudes, right? Like, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, and you, you can think of all these different figures. How was that for you?
1: So, yeah, it's, you know, what it's, it's, it's a difficult subject, because we, this, when we talk about systemic inequity it's it's not something that can always be measured, right And when we talk about microaggressions, they are by very definition I'm trying to find the right word but it's it's a very non-specific thing. So oftentimes in these situations as an individual so myself, yes as a as a black woman in tech and maybe as a also a British and a Nigerian woman. From time to time, there will be situations where I believe my treatment was unfavorable or detrimental. And I would attribute that to my gender or to my ethnicity. But these things are, it's always non-definitive, right? So it it is kind of, you know, it, it is hard to say. But I think absolutely in my experience, you know, there is a theme sometimes of being underestimated. So, you know, I've had situations maybe where in meetings or even in office buildings, uh, somebody assumed I was I was uh, at a particular I was at like a tech space. I think actually to give a give a presentation, and then the person at the check-in desk um, actually thought I was the cleaning staff. He thought I was there to um, help out with the other black woman who was in the space who was there to clean. Um, and I can assure you, I was dressed—not—not not like I wasn't in uniform or anything like that. Um, but he, when I arrived to check in, he looked at me, and then he looked over my shoulder at somebody who was just entering the building, and he was like, "Oh, oh, you—you you must be with her." Um, and I was like, uh, "No, no, I think she's here to clean, and I, I'm here to give a presentation." So that already says that, while well, I'm giving a presentation to this person, and they've seen me, and they've immediately made an assumption. Uh, about my role so how do I now convince them that they should back this startup I'm doing and it's uh, I've heard I'm familiar with the phrase they call it double convincing because at this stage I'm not just convincing the individual that I'm building something that is worth investing in I am also convincing them that I wasn't here to clean um, so I think there is a thing of being underestimated at times I think definitely founders who do not uh, fit the traditional mold do have to do something called double convincing because if you don't look like where, where maybe, and sometimes it's not just investors, right? Sometimes it is uh, within the tech startup ecosystem. These people are gatekeepers. Sometimes they have access to resources because oftentimes in tech, you know, the resource, it might be a free co-working space. It might be, I don't know, cloud credits to, uh, you know, to, to sign up with a, with a particular provider. And right. I think, yeah, definitely there's, uh, I would say, yeah, that there's absolutely, I think, a thing of uh, sometimes as a diverse founders, you are double convincing. And sometimes because you don't pattern match perhaps what they are expecting, you may be seen as a more quote unquote risky prospect.
0: Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask that question knowing that it wasn't going to be the easiest question to answer because I believe the most difficult things to discuss are the ones that we should probably be discussing the most, right? Because they're the ones that people typically avoid. And I know that over the past 36 months in America, there have been a lot of things pertaining to culture and race and, um, you know, things that, you know, subconscious biases that go back generationally um and and some of those things were, you know our grandparents and how they were raised or the grandparents grandparents and you know then we have the history to account for and um that's not something that i that i oftentimes talk about but i but i wanted to today because you know we we were talking prior to this and just I'm, I'm thinking I'm like, I cannot imagine being in a situation because like, I'm a, I'm a white dude, like I'm a 6'2 white guy who was born in America, like I won the golden lottery according to everybody else. And so I've never really been in a situation that was, you know, a, a prejudice against me. And you going and, and, you know, the person automatically assuming that you are cleaning, when you were actually doing the one thing that they weren't able to do, which they're at the check-in desk and you're about to be on stage, it's, it's ironic. Yet disappointing and unfortunate at the same time. And there shouldn't be that thing of, you know, double convincing. Like, I don't think that that should be something that is around. And I think that's also important. Why or a a reasonable fact and, and reason why you are, you know, building out what you have going on right now for the future generations, maybe your future daughter or some other woman who's who's listening to this and is like, wow, I can do this. And you're almost giving them permission in a sense by setting the example. I think that's a really cool thing.
1: Absolutely. I agree.
0: Now, I I want to take the conversation and and focus on wisdom. And now wisdom is a, a social audio app. But what was your first introduction to social audio?
1: My first introduction was Clubhouse. And I am typically not a social media person. Like I'm not particularly big on Instagram or YouTube or Twitter or any of those things but social audio for me it just really clicked as uh, a medium Um, I think because I'm a I can be I think I'm a great communicator and I feel like uh, voice is one of the oldest forms of human communication right I think um, if we go back centuries ago that is how we started communicating and we started passing on stories and and I love that audio it removes the the superficial and the visual you just focus on the voice I think audio is more authentic I think it helps people be vulnerable um I I really just think it's the best communication I think as a lot of us have experienced a text because there isn't tone to accompany that.
0: Absolutely and there's a reason why this interview is audio only like we're not we're not doing the video I think that that's kind of a a direct correlation to, to wisdom being audio only now you we're on Clubhouse. Were you on Clubhouse, like, super early on when it was first l- getting launched or after it hit momentum in, in 2021?
1: Uh, I would say super early, super early.
0: Okay. Now, now who introduced you to, to Wisdom? Like, or not to, not to Wisdom, but to Clubhouse? Like, what was the first introduction of that? And what was your initial response to? Because, like you mentioned, we're, we're so caught up in the pictures and the videos and, you know, the looks and the superficial stuff. I imagine that 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 first time that you logged on and and jumped into a room was kind of a a shock to you, was it not?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it was it was incidentally, it was somebody who I actually follow on Twitter. You know, we'd never we'd never met or spoken, but we would just exchange thoughts and ideas and seem to be in sync. And then one day she posted a link, and I was hearing a, a buzz about something like Clubhouse. So yeah, I just clicked and downloaded and got in i was like i was like wow this i said you know this this is great because i feel with social audio with instagram it's about being uh beautiful i think with twitter it's about having hot takes and being the fastest person to get to that hot take whereas a uh, clubhouse is about talking and communicating with your voice
0: very, very well said. So you actually have another social audio app that isn't Wisdom that you were working on prior to launching this. What, what was that? And then are, is that something you're still actively building or no?
1: Oh, wow. You do, you do, um, you do absolutely great, great research. So Shout is uh, absolutely still ongoing. And um, of course, we haven't, we haven't talked much about Shout. But Shout is, in essence, it's social audio rooms for friends to hang out with friends. The target demographic is uh, a, a lot younger. Um, and yeah, absolutely, uh, Shout is still uh, a going, you know, th- that is still going on as well. And that's really testament to the fact that I do believe that social audio is the future. I think this is going to grow into a multi-billion dollar category and we are going to see so many use cases for social audio. And Shout is looking at the use case where perhaps, I don't know, if you're like 13 uh, and maybe today you're hopping between Discord and iMessage and Snap and, you know, you're, you're kind of using different apps for different things. but. Why can't you have like a permanent room just with the audio like of your close friends that you can drop Mm. into at any time?
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. Now, with wisdom, you're in Clubhouse, you see the power of social audio, you see the power of speaking, uh, you build out a little bit of your audience. And what were your next steps to saying, hey, I'm going to launch an app? Because doing running a startup in any field is difficult, but I don't think people understand just how difficult it is in the tech space because of how much saturation exists. And then you have the bugs, you have the coding, you have all these different things. Uh, what was that early process like? And, and what was the triggering point of, I'm going to name it wisdom, and this is what I'm going to do?
1: So for me, because really my life's mission and a lot of my work has been around diversity in, in tech, right? And where I made previous reference to the, the One Tech program, uh, which was a program which I had a lead role on, rolled on as, a, as a consultant, right? And One Tech was around saying, how can we increase the diversity of startup founders in London? And there were a number of work streams on the program, we shared a lot of data, and we did a lot of analysis to try and work out that London is such a diverse city. Why is it that when we look at the people who are doing tech startups, that population is not as diverse. And one of the key reasons that uh, I found, we found, was a lack of access to mentorship. Because typically within the ideation when you're at the ideation stage of a startup and as the founder you found a problem you want to solve and and you need to, i find that the ideation stage what we found is that idea that problem needs to be validated and the best place to validate that problem is with somebody who would be a future purchaser right Let, especially especially let's think b2b if i think i have an idea for a particular industry the best thing I could do is speak to somebody who could be a target purchaser in the future and say, hey, what is the problem that is keeping you up at night? Uh, and then he will be like, this is the problem. If anyone can build something to solve this problem, like wh- where do I sign, like I'm interested. And what I found, what we found was that we founders from underrepresented groups, maybe parents of immigrants, people who didn't have degrees, uh, women and ethnic minorities, and also uh, working class. That from when they had the idea of what they wanted to do with the startup, they did not have the network or the access to get the mentoring from their potential target segment to validate it. So they would just go off and build something. But the thing that they were building was it wasn't needed by their target segment. So in essence, a lack of mentoring was crystallized as a key problem. And one of the work streams on One Tech was actually a mentoring work stream. So we set up a mentoring work stream. Realized that mentoring programs are very difficult to run. We have to recruit the mentees on one side, the mentors on the other side. They need to be matched. They need to schedule sessions. Uh, it, It didn't work very well. And that's something that was always playing on my mind. So once I discovered social audio and started using Clubhouse, it clicked in my mind that we can use social audio to attack, to try and solve this mentoring problem. So the founding mission for Wisdom is to democratize access to mentorship. And in essence, we use social audio to connect mentors or experts to knowledge seekers. You know, that, that, that is the core of wisdom. So on wisdom, a mentor or an expert goes live. They give a talk and there's an audience who can listen in. And if anyone from the audience has a question, then wisdom gives the mentor the tools to take questions from the listeners. And there is a a timer. So if as the mentor, you accept uh, a guest, because they're gonna join your talk to ask a question, there is the timer that keeps the conversation moving. So for example, an expert may come and give a talk on a topic and set their timer to take 10 minute questions. And then a knowledge seeker can come up and they can ask a question. When the 10 minutes is up, it allows the next person to to come up. And, you know, that's the core of wisdom. And then the other factor I would add that I think is really uh, differentiating is on wisdom, all of the conversations, all of the talks are recorded by default. And that's because going live on wisdom is about sharing wisdom and sharing knowledge. So that knowledge needs to be captured. And that is where as an individual so say for example like um Isaac you've been you've been doing awesome content on wisdom so say like for yourself as an individual you have built up uh, a profile on wisdom and in essence you have a library of talks on wisdom that are showing you know what it is that what it is that, that you know and what it means is that anyone any time of the day wherever they are as long as they have the wisdom app they can download your talk and they can tap into your wisdom
0: which I think all of these different aspects and avenues is what makes wisdom, you know, extremely unique. And at the time of recording this, guys, I want to make it clear, like, I'm not getting paid for this talk. I'm not getting paid to bring Daiwan. I'm not getting paid to work with wisdom or anything like that. And um, I think that's important to know because this is something that I believe in and something that I was, you know, a part of in the early beta. And then after the launch and um, still am a part of, and I've closed business through wisdom as well. And it's really about taking the relationships offline and and you know actually having one-on-one conversations um or taking them online rather like on a a social media network or social audio network and and really talking to them one-on-one right in private understanding their problems understanding what ways you can provide a solution to them and i think just by being uh you know kind of there it's not so much verification but um, there are such things as top mentors on wisdom, right? And that gives you a automatic sense of credibility because wisdom goes through and vets the mentors and say, hey, okay, okay, hey, this person is doing X, Y, and Z. This person is an expert in this field. And then that creates a really diverse platform, right? Speaking about diversity of people from all different walks of life. In all different kinds of businesses, and um, you know, Daya, something that I, I noticed as a recurring theme of what you're talking about is you're driven a lot by data and statistics and numbers. You're a very technical person. How's that helpful? Yes. You um,
1: no, yeah, I, I would say I would say that that was accurate, and um, I think that goes back to my degree, my computer science degree, where. I got exposed to so many different aspects of computing, right? Like architect, computer architecture, networking, programming. And, and the area that I liked was uh, data and, 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 and patterns. So I think, yeah, I think that's very accurate.
0: Mm-hmm. so what is your your daily routine look like because I, I know a lot of people that are running businesses they're into personal development they're into working out like what what does the normal day look like for for dial
1: okay great so yeah it it, it on the good days it does start with a, a workout or some exercise because the blood gets flowing and the oxygen you know the oxygen happens and there i mean at least in my case, the day of a founder, it's varied. It, it It's varied. And actually, for me, I love the variety. Something I also found out from having a variety of jobs and roles is, uh, like, I've never had a line role, a line role, meaning, I don't know, if my role was sales, and all I did every day was sales. As a consultant, no two days were the same, and absolutely, as a founder, and my day can look, it can look, And it looks so varied from interacting with the the development team for the product. Sometimes I'm preparing for interviews. So something we do from time to time on Wisdom, of course, I love uh, interviewing people on Wisdom. And, you know, sometimes I interview ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And uh, sometimes I do like, you know, I get the privilege of interviewing high profile people, very successful people. Uh, A great example is the uh, saxophonist, the musician uh, Kenny G, who I know is well well known to Americans. Also recently had a conversation with uh, Andre Dawson, who is a major league baseball hall of famer. He had a 12 year career and now moved on to own a funeral home in Florida and then also most recently uh, the actor James Masters who is best known for his role playing uh, Spike on uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and has also had roles on Smallville and Torchwood and you know things like that so sometimes a day for me can be which I love like going on YouTube to research my interview subject because I want to ask them questions that they haven't been Asked before you don't know, want to make them laugh I want to make them feel kind of like comfortable so on a typical day I could be doing that and preparing the questions then I can be going on to actually give the interview live to an audience uh, sometimes it's speaking to investors sometimes it's working out PR strategies it, it, it's really all sorts but I, I love the i love the variety you know and and, and i think it, it, it can take a lot of focus as well being disciplined with time
0: well i think if somebody's listening to this they think they they could be thinking wow that is chaotic that there is a lot of chaos in that and i think too that that is part of the reason why we do what we do because we love the chaos in a sense. In our odd unique way, we appreciate the uncertainty of tomorrow because we don't know what it's going to bring. And I know in my own life, whenever I worked a couple jobs, I worked three months in both positions and I quit because it was the same thing day after day after day, which yeah. means, that there's, means that you're not growing, right? And at the center of all achievement is personal growth. What is your favorite, book, your favorite podcast? Like how important is personal development to you?
1: I would say, uh, yeah, personal development is, it's important. I think it's important to me. I think, you know, you just referenced the uncertainty earlier and a big mindset shift that I've uh, made with entrepreneurship is embracing uncertainty, Embracing the fact that I don't know what uh, next month, next six months, next year is going to look like, and being comfortable with that. Um, and you know, I think that 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 is one aspect. And then around personal development, I would say uh, a, a key factor or thing that I know I always have to keep on working on is. Um, Getting comfortable in the uncomfortable zone and understanding that when I'm feeling uncomfortable, that is a good thing. Um, absolutely. Almost, absolutely. almost always need to be feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and then sometimes also getting comfortable that to your point with the chaos, sometimes things one might feel like things are moving a little bit fast, but also a good thing.
0: Well, I mean with everything, it's, it's like when you raise your prices as a consultant or doing a, a business, your previous level of discomfort becomes your new level of comfort and there's no peak to what you can work towards. And I think that that's a blessing actually. And I, I do want to be respectful of your time because I do know that you have another call coming up, but I want to ask you a couple more questions uh, if you don't mind. And and what is your take on raising capital for a startup? Like, did you raise capital for wisdom or was that self-funded or, or what, what was the overall business model behind coming up with the, the platform?
1: So, yes. Uh... Wisdom is backed by investment, by uh, a group of angels, a very experienced group of angels. And in terms of the strategy, in terms of how wisdom is run, we are very lean. Um, I call us, we're a small but mighty team. We're small but mighty. And we are a remote team distributed globally, which, which I find works really well and it, it keeps operational costs down.
0: Love that. Now, what are you personally working for? Because we have wisdom, right? You're working on that. You've had the other businesses that you worked on. I know that you mentioned diversity is important, but what is the, the long-term vision for your life? Like, where do you see yourself in the next two decades?
1: The war would be uncertainty and the unknown. So, I'm, I'm going to stay true to that and say that I, you know, and it, it was definitely, I say for me, it took some mental training in saying that uh, I feel comfortable with not knowing in two decades. I mean, in terms of I could speak about my my mission for wisdom, you know, and, and it might, it's not going to take us as long as two decades, but in the next few years, uh, I want to be able to say that wisdom has impacted millions of people and going back to my mission with wisdom around democratizing access to mentorship right and democratizing uh access to knowledge right now I think that access to knowledge and mentorship it's a privilege uh you know and I think it it should be a right you know it should be a idea like you know a fundamental human right and That's where wisdom comes in. You know, I want to have helped millions of people. I find that a lot of people today try to use LinkedIn for mentoring. So if you're maybe an individual, you need advice. I don't know, let's just use career as as a situation. Maybe you want to pursue a particular career and you're trying to, you know, get your break or, you know, progress. People will go on LinkedIn and follow people who they see as in their field, but more advanced and try and add them and maybe try and DM them and say, hey, can I buy you a coffee? I want to ask about, you know, uh, X, Y, Z. And more often than not, those requests get ignored. Um, I think busy people don't really go to their LinkedIn mailbox and and check for messages for people that, that, that they don't know. The messages that tend to get responded to are the messages which are via a warm introduction and i think that is an example or a perpetuation of systemic inequity because it means that the people who have the influence and who have the knowledge are primarily sharing that knowledge with people within their network because there's been a warm introduction and so what happens to the people who are you know who who, who don't have that network And where wisdom comes in is it is even already today, it's enabling people to tap into the wisdom of individuals who in their day-to-day lives, they would probably never have a chance of meeting them. Mm -hmm. You can listen to their talks, you could follow them when they go live, you'll get a notification, and you can join their queue and and uh, you know and and take a question um, and um, yeah, yeah. So that, you know, that, that would be that aspect. I would also say in terms of, you know, the medium term for, for um, vision, for wisdom as well is, you know, let's talk about the creator side as well. I'm very passionate with what I call the, uh, and, and others have called the, the, the creator economy, but the economy of the middle-class creators. So those are creators who perhaps have between uh, maybe a thousand to half a million followers, which is, I believe, known as the middle class of creators. I find with the bigger social networks, you know, the TikToks, Instagrams, and YouTube, they tend to share their profits and the majority of their benefits with their upper class of creators, people who have half a million and above multi-million followers I think they benefit the most and I think the middle class of creators it it are I think they are just not a priority and uh, a key aim for wisdom as well is to impact the middle class of creators and that is why you know we launched wisdom with our mental coin. And MentorCoin is a virtual in-app currency uh, within Wisdom. And creators earn MentorCoin in proportion to the number of minutes that people listen to them. And when the MentorCoin is accumulated, uh, a mentor can cash out their MentorCoin for a gift card, which can be used... Uh, at a number of outlets so places like Amazon, Starbucks and Target or they could choose to donate that that gift card and that amount to charity and the idea behind the mental coin to launch with was I, I felt it was important to launch wisdom with something for the creators something to acknowledge the creators that you know we see you we see you're here creating content and if you're giving a series of great talks on wisdom like the platform should at least buy you a a cup of coffee or a proverbial cup of coffee now um and and that is the first feature that we've launched with what is an absolute priority on our roadmap with wisdom is also helping our creators to monetize but with uh you know with traditional money and I cannot say today exactly what is that going to look like but the objective is to help creators to monetize their expertise so I think all too often today we'll have our, our brains picked there is often not a reward for that but why shouldn't it be that you know I can say Isaac for you if I'm interested in understanding about building my personal brand and I follow you on wisdom and I listen to a few of your talks um maybe I want to have a one-to-one advice mentoring session with you and I want to pay you through the wisdom app so we're not going to go offline and exchange zooms and schedule back and forth no we're on wisdom it's audio let's get into a one-to-one private session now and you know, let me tap into your wisdom. So I would say like, that those are the, the big priorities for wisdom.
0: Man, a ton to unpack, but absolutely love everything that you mentioned too because it, it points to the uniqueness that wisdom has. And that was part of the reasons why I stuck with it. You know, From the moment I got my first email saying, hey, we'd like you to be a top mentor up until actually getting onto the app, I, I saw a bunch of different benefits. Right. I saw the mentor coin is, yeah, okay that's a way to monetize the audience. Cool. Like, okay get a cup of coffee or get an Apple gift card or something like that. But where I saw the value was the one on one aspect and and being able to touch, you know, maybe a hundred or a couple hundred people listening to one talk live directly and answering their questions, providing them with value, which also helps you build out your personal brand. And so really wisdom is a personal branding machine while also being a machine of value. And I'm I'm super stoked to see, you know, what the future has in store. And and Daya, where can people find you and where can people download Wisdom?
1: Yeah. And I just want to say before I go on to that, uh, Isaac, I think you've encapsulated it perfectly in terms of from a creative perspective. Wisdom is about building out your personal um, brand of which audio should be. I I think audio should absolutely be a part now, um, a part of anyone's. Uh, personal brand um, and monetizing your you know your expertise Um, and so to your point to anyone listening in right now wisdom is we're current we are currently just on uh, iOS at the moment but Android is being worked on and it is in the works so you will currently find us in the Apple store Just go in and search for Wisdom. We will absolutely come up. If anyone is interested in going to the website, we are at wisdom.audio. And on all social media channels, you will find us at uh, Join Wisdom. And those links are also on the website. And if anyone is interested to follow me personally, you will find me on uh, primarily twitter and a little bit of instagram um, my handle is uh dayo akk
0: there we have it and guys you can also follow dio and myself on wisdom and uh you can find her at dio dayo, d-a-y-o and uh it was hey it was a pleasure having this conversation with you i'm excited to see what wisdom has in store and um, what opportunities exist to work together and guys if you're listening to this make sure to go download the app, make sure to go create a profile, hop on for a talk or two and uh, connect with some people. I've already closed business through wisdom myself, got some orders of the book and uh, it it was, you know, worth every single minute that I spent on the platform. And and Dio, thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule.
1: Isaac, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we did this. And as you said, I'm I'm loving that this is a real unbiased testimonial and that you've already closed business through wisdom. Yes. You know, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that that's amazing. It, it means already making a difference.
0: Absolutely. I mean, Hey, you made a difference in my own life through that. And uh, yeah, guys, you just got done listening to another episode of chase the vision with Isaac Mashman. This is episode 86 and I am getting back on track with episodes every Monday and episodes every single Friday with amazing entrepreneurs, business owners, creators like Ms. Dio. And without further ado, I will catch you later. And uh, make sure to leave a review, rate, review, and subscribe. Share this episode with a friend, not running a bunch of advertisements, taking up your time. And until next time, much love. Bye.